I'm only human after all And you're only human after all Don't put the blame on me Welcome to Ponder Exchange, a podcast about Christian faith and armed service hosted by me, Brother Logan Isaac. First Formation is spiritual exercise for high church lowlifes looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join us every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. Your decrees are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. With open mouth I pant, because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your custom toward those who love your name. Keep my steps steady according to your promise, and never let iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from human oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because your law is not kept. 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 38 through 48. So the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, And the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and led him to Gihon. There the priest Zadok took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up following him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth quaked at their noise. Adonijah and all the guests who were there with him heard it as they finished feasting. When Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Why is the city in an uproar? While he was still speaking, Jonathan, son of the priest Abiathar, arrived. Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man, and surely you bring good news. Jonathan answered Adonijah, No, for our lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him the priest Zadok, the the prophet Nathan, and Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they had him ride on the king's mule. The priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan have anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from their rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you heard. Solomon now sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. The king bowed in worship on the bed and went on to pray thus, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel who today has granted one of my offspring to sit on my throne and permitted me to witness it. Acts chapter 7, verses 44 through 53. Our ancestors had the tent of testimony in the wilderness, as God directed when he spoke to Moses, ordering him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn brought it with brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our ancestors. And it was there until the time of David, who found favor with God and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the house of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. 
What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which the prophets did, your ancestors, which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become as betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. Good morning and welcome to the 8th Friday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from the Appalachian Abbey in Knoxville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 119, 1 Kings 1, and Acts 7. And as I was reading this psalm, uh, verse 134 stood out to me, Redeem me from human oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Um, and I am, uh, for those of you who have not seen me, uh, I am white, I'm a cisgendered male, uh, I'm clearly an evangelical, um, I'm also heterosexual, as far as I know. Um, so the idea of oppression... Uh, for the most part, uh, I've understood for a long time, as, as, as long as I've um, uh, uh, undertaken higher education, um, I've understood oppression as to be something that I was a part, I was contributing to as opposed to suffering from, and largely that's true. Um, I, um, I don't know what my actual audience might believe about oppression or injustice or justice for that matter um, but I, I think that it's uh, I think it's misleading to call people racist or oppressors because I think that's just too easy I think it's much more uh, I think it's much more realistic to speak about the fact that I have benefits because of the color of my skin because of the way I present myself, the way I move through my social interactions. Um, and so in oppression and injustice isn't so much something that I'm guilty of doing, uh, but more often than not failing to interrupt. Um, and for the most part, I read that as, or I read lines like this, and I understand concepts like this, as someone who is trying to interrupt those uh, systems and habits and everything um, as someone who typically is doing them, who is kind of, kind of reinforcing them. Um, and I believe that for the most part until I got to seminary. Um, I went to undergrad at a kind of commuter campus in Hawaii, which is you know, highly militarized. Um, and because it was a commuter campus, we didn't have a whole lot of, it wasn't a very high touch program. But when I got to seminary, I was going, you know, uh, reg you know, full time, full term semester, with other people who I thought felt like me and uh, were kind of interested in similar things as me as a Christian. Um, but because where I went to seminary um, was not very militarized in a very militarized state, I began to see myself and understand myself much more in terms of my military experience. Um, in Hawaii, you know, it was, it was one of many things that I kind of 
took into consideration as I thought about myself and I thought about, you know, what I wanted to study and why. Um, but in seminary, uh, that, that, that part of my personal history became much more clear um, and um, inescapable, I suppose, because I read the Bible a certain way because of my military experience. Um, I, I believe things and do things because of my military experience. I believe things, I, I, it seems, I believe in things more passionately because, I think, consciously, because I've seen the cost of the things that we enjoy. Not necessarily the injustice, but the, the lengths to which good people are willing to go to protect the things we think we believe and the things that we want as a society. I've seen men and women die protecting our rights. And so our rights have, after combat, became all the more centrally important. And in seminary, as I'm doing this thing that I really uh, have, have felt called to do and um, was really, and still am really passionate about, I also began, um, without necessarily wanting to, I began to see myself as a particularly marked person, marked by my military experience. And I never thought that that experience might alter my relationship with oppression or injustice. It wasn't until I was the victim of discrimination and bias and harassment, years of it, uh, before I even used that language to describe my experience in seminary and in several workplaces in, in housing. Um, but I did. I began to realize that um, as a veteran, I could be um, denied the benefits of our citizenship as Americans by insinuating that I was mentally ill, that I was untrustworthy with uh, because of some idea that I'm more expert at violence or something. I mean, as an artilleryman, um, we don't we don't have a whole lot of mortars or cannons as part of our society, and anybody even infantry, like, yeah, sure, you know how to do certain things with more force, but, like, anybody can buy a weapon from Walmart and pull a trigger. Like, it's not, that's not the expert training that we received. But I learned, as I began to see myself involuntarily, for the most part, as I began to see myself more of something in, in, in this particular way, I began slowly to realize how that particular aspect of my identity could be used against me, um, and sometimes, sometimes to actively deprive me of opportunity, and at other times to suggest that, uh, to essentially to gaslight me, professionally or personally. Um, and so I now read lines like this of the Psalms, and I hope other soldiers and veterans do, and allies of soldiers and veterans do, read those lines um, in ways that uh, help us understand the way in which our military experience can be used against us, consciously or unconsciously. Um, I could give lots of examples. I bring this up now because um, I, uh, there's a, a mountain of uh, just um, horrible experiences uh, that I've had with influential people, influential institutions, 
um, quite influential, quite powerful in certain ways. And one has um, bubbled to the surface again today. Um, uh, and I won't go into specifics, it's just not necessary. Um, but it reminds me of this reading from Acts. Um, I forgot to look at who it is that's saying it. I don't, I don't know if it's Paul or Peter. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure. But essentially, um, at the very end, um, it's, it, you know, it begins with this, like, you know, the, the tent of the meeting and then the temple and Solomon, and blah, 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 blah. But the last several verses from 51 to 53, it, it turns, it turns on the audience. And the person says, you know, you're stiff-necked, you're uncircumcised in your heart and ears. Like, I don't care if you've, if you've been circumcised, you sure as shit aren't acting like it. And you're opposing the Holy Spirit, just like it's always happened. The status quo um, is that um, it's easier, to use the, the words of Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker, in our society, it's easier to do evil than it is to do good. It's easier to let things continue as they are and reinforce or ignore injustice than it is to interrupt them. You're the ones that receive the laws ordained by angels and yet you have not kept it. This is somebody um, saying to the religious elites, the Jewish religious, religious elites, saying, you want us to believe that you're trustworthy, that you've kept these commandments, that you are um, uh, reliable people to carry this tradition, but you're not. You aren't. Um, and it's this accusation um, of the status quo that, look, it may appear as though you're on the outs. Like, if Rome is the, is, you know, the, the, the worst of our enemies, you're not a whole lot different. Like, sure, Rome is oppressing us, and they're violent, and they're uh, merciless, um, but what makes you much different? Like, you're, we're not a part of you either. This, this is the beginning of this split from the Jews who believed in Jesus as the Messiah and the Jews who did not, who would um, then, uh, as Saul and Paul, uh, you know, his example displays, would then persecute the less established um, group within Judaism that believed Jesus was the Messiah. And eventually there would be a full split in 70 CE when the temple was destroyed, but that's another matter. Um, but it's, it's easy to maybe hear these words or this story um, as soldiers and veterans and maybe get down on ourselves for being a part of a violent system, as though most or all Americans, since we're a representative democracy, are not also uh, guilty of in some way or responsible for but there will come a time, and maybe there already has come a time, and you haven't noticed it, in which you as a soldier or a veteran or a military spouse or dependent look at the church and say, you're the ones that received the law, and yet you haven't kept it. I'm being pushed out by the status quo that my being a soldier or a veteran or a military family member is being used to deprive me of the same benefits and freedoms and liberties that my family or I um, sacrificed to preserve. Um, and maybe you're not there yet. 
maybe um, you're listening because you think it's it's refreshing to hear kind of a, a military spin on our scriptures, and that's good. I think that is the primary objective of, of first formation. Um, but first formation is part of the wider QPUHQ kind of constellation. Um, I want you to not just be spiritually mature, but also politically engaged, to th- to look at our surroundings, uh, the church, the state, and turn uh, a, a critical eye toward whether or not um, we can or should understand ourselves as being those who are being deprived of those freedoms because of our military service. Um, again, I'm not going to go into specifics or, or too much detail. You can go to gijustice.com and get kind of the overview. Um, but if we read these, this scripture, um, this scripture that is passed down by the underdogs, by the people that every major you know, civilization has tried to silence, um, at some point there may be a time when you recognize in yourself not necessarily the you know the unbridled privilege that that I, for example, believed I had. Um, privilege is like a chain; it's only as strong as its weakest link. In your military service or your association with military communities, can at some point, I guarantee you, be used to deprive you of the goods of our citizenship of our of our nation, um, and that is that's not right. Um, whether you've been denied housing or delayed housing because a landlord didn't believe that a VA determination letter for your disability was trustworthy, which is what happened to me in Baltimore. Um, You may uh, be told um, by, uh, you know, someone above you in, in your professional circles that, you know, gee, it's too bad you have PTSD uh, because uh, it, it affects your, your ability to, uh, to produce uh, whatever work. Um, that, uh, that, you know, as an intellectual impairment or a mental impairment, that PTSD, it is a disability, but it's not an intellectual impairment. Um, it's not a physical impairment. Um, the... Uh, the disinformation or the lack of information around military experience contributes to stereotypes and bias Um, and as a community that is especially averse to seeking help and admitting weakness it's all too easy to silence ourselves or to silence others in our community um, because we're afraid of what privilege might be taken away from us or the appearance or prestige that might be taken away from us, that we love that pedestal that gets pushed our way when somebody hears we're a veteran. Um, And so we don't speak up when somebody yanks it out from under us, yanks the carpet out from under us for not because we aren't qualified, uh, but because of somebody's, you know, misunderstanding of post-traumatic stress, combat stress, uh, military, you know, uh, culture. Um, I can give examples in other channels, um, but if when we read our scripture, um, 
you are unable to identify as a member of an oppressed population, um, I invite you to, to begin doing so, even just as a thought experiment. What would it be like if I admitted that I need the protections, not just uh, that God might provide um, God's people, but that my nation is supposed to afford um, those who are less privileged than others. Um, even if you don't believe it's true, as a thought experiment, the same way I, um, every other day when we read the Psalms, I read it with a feminine gender, not because I think God is a woman, but because it helps break up those kind of calcified beliefs that I have about God, about myself, about others, about faith, because I think that's what keeps our faith alive and vibrant, is to challenge ourselves to think outside our own boxes. And sometimes those boxes are boxes that we tell ourselves um, involve us being uh, a shining light on a hill, us being um, the last best hope for mankind, uh, being um, operators or fill in the blank like sometimes those boxes um, are not true not because they denigrate us but because they keep us from seeing ourselves as vulnerable Uh, so I invite you to think about um, the possibility that military communities soldiers, veterans military spouses and dependents consider that they might uh, be subject to bias and harassment and discrimination. And what would it look like to speak up, um, to, to say, you know what, actually, my, you know, I may have a disability, but it doesn't prevent me from doing this job. Or um, I might uh, receive disability compensation, but that's not, that's not a, a handout. Um, all these little ways in which we um, look down at the military or look, look askance because we think that we're looking up at them, even while um, this suicide epidemic, this high rate of suicide is, um, is still you know, kind of making headlines. So I, I hope you do consider um, seeing yourself, if you're like me, and you know that maybe you have a whole lot of privilege and benefits that uh, others don't because of the color of your skin, sex, gender, whatever, Consider, even if you have to, you know, think of reading as someone else, if that helps, that's fine. Um, But consider what it would mean to um, really be in solidarity with the oppressed by reading as an oppressed person. Um, And I challenge you to consider that um, as a soldier or a veteran in a a largely civilian, non-drafted, you know, society that you may in fact... Uh, be the subject of bias and discrimination uh, that, that you shouldn't be, that nobody should be. A Poem to a Certain Civilian by Walt Whitman Did you ask dolce rhymes from me? Did you seek the civilian's peaceful and languishing rhymes? Did you find that I sang erewhile so hard to follow? Why, I was not singing erewhile for you to follow, to understand, nor am I now. I have been born of the same as the war was born, 
The drum corps rattle is ever to me sweet music. I love well the martial dirge, with slow wail and convulsive throb leading the officer's funeral. What to such as you anyhow such a poet as I? Therefore leave my works and go lull yourself with what you can understand and with piano tunes. For I lull nobody and you will never understand me. <laughs>